Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I am your host, Ama Grigic, and today I have a very special guest from Valtech. Uh, his name is Arnold Martens, and he's a managing director for the Netherlands. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Thank <laughs> welcome. you for having me. <laughs> no problem. So uh, I would like to start off with uh, something about you. So could you tell me a little bit about uh, your background and also how you got to work at, uh, at Valtech? Yeah, sure. My background is in, uh, I studied electrical engineering in uh, Delft, uh, got a degree there, and uh, during my study, I sort of found out that programming computers was something I was both proficient at and I liked. So that's where I also uh, started when I uh, graduated. I first worked at IBM and then uh, later I transferred to Netscape and that was my first job in internet. And ever since, and that was, I think, 97, ever since I've worked with digital internet. First as a programmer, later consultant, done some DevOps things, and uh, then also at some point started managing yeah. as sort of a buy thing. And uh, what I always say, it's gotten a little bit out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so it's grown bigger and bigger, and the teams have grown bigger. And at some point, I uh, managed the uh, development department of uh, one of the bigger digital agencies in the Netherlands. And then uh, I think it was in 2000. 11, I got called by my current employer, which uh, was then at the time eFocus. Uh, they were looking for a managing director for the Netherlands. Uh, and that's how I transferred to uh, to what then was eFocus and later became uh, Faltech. Okay. So that's my background, technical and also managerial leadership. I didn't know that, actually. We, we know each other from <laughs> from the past, but I didn't know you had a technical background. Yeah, no, well. I've actually been a programmer. So it's also what sometimes Funny. some of my colleagues ask. Did you also have like a T-shirt with all these <laughs> <laughs> things there's on there? No, there's no place like 127. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I actually had to. There's no place like localhost. Yeah, I actually want that. Uh, cool. And, um, I can actually type in IP address and know what they mean and uh, what subnets are and uh, program yeah, my own routers at home. And I'm still actually playing also with like uh, Raspberry Pis and those kind of things. I'm actually uh, sort of in as a hobby do these kinds of things, which also helps in uh, in my current job still. Yeah, because a lot of managing directors, or maybe if you look look at it, uh, it's called mainly called COO, right? Uh, yeah. A lot of them don't have that experience, right? No, They're more they come more the, from a business background yeah. or economical background, but I'm actually a technical background. And that, like I said, the sort of leadership part sort of grown up on me, been successful. And that's also what I like in my day-to-day job because I'm still working a lot with technical well, implementation. I'm not doing it myself, but I still uh, also relate with our clients. To uh, Yeah, to because I was wondering about that. Does that also help in some kind of discussions or maybe uh, talks you have with clients as well to to get that that feeling of okay, this this guy is uh, does also know what what he's yeah, talking I about. Yeah, I mean, right? you know, so to some extent, what you're actually talking about, and you can also make sense of some of the discussions that are happening. What what is sense? What doesn't make sense? Yeah, and it also helps with the employees. I mean, sometimes people come up and say like, "This is not possible," and then I'm saying like, "But I think you could try it this way," and then you see them looking, "Oh yeah." You might actually, you might actually be right. <laughs> so That's let, actually an option. Yeah. yeah, it is actually an option, and uh, sometimes you know that people say like this is not possible, and then I'm coming some sort of uh, at least suggestions, and uh, then they go off. So it it does help, and it's uh, and it's also sort of the energy you bring into the conversations. Uh, yeah, of being course. passionate about what you're actually doing. Yeah, and uh, if you look at what uh, Voltec does, maybe it's good to explain a little bit about that. So, yeah. w- what do you kind of try to provide for your clients? Uh, yeah, where uh, we call ourselves a digital agency, which means that everything we do is around digital, so yeah. that's internet and all sorts of connected uh, things. We're an agency, which means we provide services to clients in the sense that we don't have our own products, we don't have our own websites. We w- 
work for our clients, uh, like for instance, Heineken is one of our biggest clients in the Netherlands, well known, and Heineken.nl.nl is the uh, website we made. Okay. So we cool. make that for Heineken, and then we do both the sort of marketing stuff, which is the strategic kind, uh, where we uh, envision what is this, who is this actually for, what you're trying to do. We design it, so we make something which is compelling for the end users to use. We actually develop it in the technical sense. We put it on platforms, and we also maintain the uh, the website to make sure that it reaches the audience or reaches the goals that the uh, our client has uh, has uh, has for that. So uh, we're a company with uh, yeah a lot of different services, which also makes that we have a lot of different type of employees. Yeah. So we have uh, strategists, we have marketing people, we have creative people, we have technology people, developers. Uh, so it's kind of like a mix. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned Heineken, which is a big brand all over the world. I think. Yeah. Uh, is that also the kind of uh, the type of clients you uh, actually look for? So th- these kind of clients that that have that kind of big brand identity. Yeah, it's about big brands. That's uh, but it's not so much about the brands. It's actually what they need to do sure. yeah. using digital. And then when you look at Heineken, I mean, you buy beer, which is not digital. But then Heineken has like a lot of supply chain where they supply beer around the world, and that happens in different ways. And that's also what we do. We provide like e-commerce solutions where basically pub owners order their beer with Heineken directly. So mm. we build those e-commerce portals and uh, facilitate those. So those are the kind of brands that we actually work for. Yeah, so that's also kind of, um, uh, if you say it like that, that's also not just the client-facing part, right? So the clients of the, the clients. So the consumers. You yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is sometimes it's targeted consumers. Yeah, sure. But sometimes it's also in like internal. A, what we call internal B2B, so business-to-business type of uh, portals. Okay. Very, uh, yeah. That's different than what I was thinking about because I knew that you do a lot of uh, websites for consumers, of course, but yeah. also uh, doing the kind of back. It's not actually a back end system, but it's kind of like that, right? So it's yeah. an internal, internal yeah. system. And it goes a lot further because uh, we will probably also be talking about touch points and there will be sure. multiple touch points. Like uh, for one of our bigger clients worldwide is Audi. Mm-hmm. And Audi has like this MME, which is like their internal in the car system where all these sort of interfaces, navigation, uh, but that is also connected with SIM cards now to the internet directly. Sure. And we actually build those systems. Oh, crazy. So we have like 400 people working day in, day out at Audi, working with Audi on developing services on that platform. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Maybe it's good to, to talk about that a little later on. Yeah. Um, what, what I was wondering about is uh, something that happened a few years ago. So a few years ago, uh, eFocus was kind of, uh, I think, bought. Yeah, it was bought. Yeah, it was bought by Voltec, which is actually the the, uh, the current label and the current uh, yeah. company as well. So... How did that uh, deal come about? So how how did that did that come about? Yeah. Okay. Um, maybe it's good to tell the story because I joined in 2012. Sure. Yeah. And uh, in 2012, we were one of the bigger agencies in the Netherlands already, with like 100 people employed. We were sort of in the top 10 in the Netherlands, and when I joined, we quickly sort of formulated a vision to be in the top in the Netherlands. So being in the top three, so mm-hmm. that required us to grow quite significantly. So in four years' time, we doubled our company, uh, attracting some new brands, attracting a lot of people, getting the growth going. And sort of after three, four years, we noticed that a lot of our clients, I've mentioned some brands already, Heineken, DSM, those are like companies we were working for, like yeah. proud Dutch brands, which have been around for like 100 years, but which are also internationally present. And we noticed that those brands were asking us more and more questions to go international. 
And they were also questioning our ability. I mean, we can buy flying tickets and go abroad. <laughs> yeah, sure. But would they actually would want us to be in those locations present as well to roll out the things we've been building in the Netherlands, to roll them out in different countries. So we noticed like there was a sort of a necessity to go international. And so that's also why we with uh, the uh, owners of the company sat down and said, like, how are we going to do this? And then we sort of envisioned there's a couple of ways to achieve that international presence. We can open offices, which takes a lot of time or which just require money. We can also buy other agencies, which some of our competitors have uh, done. But we can also sort of uh, be uh, on the path to be taken over and be joining a larger network. And we quickly came to the conclusion that was our sort of preferred route. Yeah. To be uh, to basically to be bought and to immediately become part of a bigger network. So that's also why we actively went out and looking for potential sort of uh, yeah larger networks to take us over. And by a coincidence, we met Faltech at a common client, and uh, that immediately felt like a sort of a match, mm. both culture but also the way we look at our business, the way we do our business, and that's always so how we got into talks with them. And they were open to uh, to expand their business by buying companies. And uh, Valtec at the time had no business in the Netherlands. So we were uh, sort of the potential to build Valtec Netherlands. And uh, we quickly, uh, like literally in two, three months, the whole deal was uh, was done. And uh, so that's, quite, that's, that's very quick for a yeah. company your size at the, at the time. Yeah, because right? at that time we were like 200 people. So yeah. quite a sizable agency. And uh, we were also the largest uh, acquisition that Faltec has done. Faltec has done many acquisitions, but this was by far the largest they have done as well. Yeah, because they're originally a French company. If yeah, I'm not, uh, yeah they're a French company. They're pretty old, actually, in the digital space. They're 93 founders. Okay, so sure. we've actually celebrated our 25th anniversary this year. <laughs> yeah. And that's, so we were only part two years of that, but we could celebrate the 25th anniversary for... Uh, that's for, early, though. It 93. is early. And they were sort of in the CDI, and they were doing a lot of of agile consultancy there's a lot of things and they quickly went to the stock market at that time in uh, the Euronext in uh, Paris because it's a French based company that's where they found it and based on the uh, funds that they got from the stock market they quickly acquired a number of agencies in other countries so they expanded pretty quickly and then obviously in 2001 the whole market collapsed yep and that's bubble, also yeah. when uh, when basically Falter became a penny stock so it was like a proper company. It was floating, but it was not good enough to really progress, but it was also not bad enough to fall over. And in 2010, the current management basically took over by providing a public offer on all the stocks, got 70, 80% of all the stocks. And uh, based on that, they replaced the management, sat down on the management tools themselves and started building the company that it is now, uh, now is. Yeah, and what I was wondering about is that uh, what usually happens or what you see happen often is that uh, when this kind of a, uh, when a company is bought by a bigger company or whatever, uh, you see that the kind of company culture changes as well. Um, uh, did that happen uh, with you guys as well or was it, uh, was it less because you already saw that that kind of company culture uh, was, uh, was overlapping? How yeah. was that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's something, some remarks to be made. Uh, th there was no Faltec Netherlands, so there yeah. was no integration happening. So we were sure. basically floating along. It was also Faltec basically left us alone. In the sense that they didn't say they didn't send a lot of people in, and you need to do this differently. <laughs> they yeah. sort of they sort of uh, didn't touch it. Not to say that we, we didn't do uh, anything. And also, what we also the, ourselves we quickly replaced Namey Focus Faltech, uh, which was uh, I think a lucky decision in the end not to extend two uh, brand names in sure, uh, yeah. in the market. And things definitely have gone 
some things have changed. It's become more international. We've also changed the language. Like before, I was doing prestations in the Netherlands when I was standing in front of all the people. Right yeah. now, I'm doing prestations in English. Yeah. So like, things have changed, but that yeah. has been more a gradual process. And also, what you already said, the culture was kind of like the same. Yeah. I mean, that's already where we felt when we started speaking before the deal with senior management. We felt like, okay, these people are basically looking at the way. It's also how they treat people, how they look at employees, how they want to... Yeah, that's ex- important. Yeah. yeah, so there was kind of like a match. And also, we work with quite a number of uh, software packages, which we implement. And uh, we have four major packages, which we implement in the Netherlands. And vault has chosen exactly the same four. Ah, that helps as well. So, so there was kind of like a lot of, uh, lot of similarities. Oh, okay. And also what um, what we quickly found out that during the deal process, we already sort of noticed that, okay, we shouldn't be ashamed of what we bring to the table. Sure, yeah. We're a pretty sizable company. We know our stuff. But it's turned out after the deal that we actually sort of one of the leading countries within Faltec pretty quickly. So some of the people that are within Faltec Netherlands have already taken up global roles as well, yeah. leading Faltec into the next uh, phase for... Yeah, we talked about that uh, a little bit before we started recording. Um, for example, Auke van Erk, which is yeah. uh, now the global CTO of yeah. Valtec. he was the CTO in Valtec the Netherlands. He's also one of the founders of the company. And sure. he was quickly, like uh, literally after a couple of months, he was picked out and uh, asked, okay, you want to do this on a global level? So he's now our global CTO working in all the countries, uh, working with clients and defining our technology strategy. Cool, yeah. And the, 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 the interesting part here is what I wanted to, to ask you about as well is that uh, I talked to Heini from uh, Mirbo and uh, also uh, Paul from uh, from Debt. Uh, they have two different kind of ways of looking at expansion and <laughs> yeah. what they wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, for example, Mirbo was also bought, but uh, on the other hand, Debt is kind of turning into the kind of company that wants to buy all those kind ca- Yeah, companies. they've actually trying to become a Valtech. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually succeeding quite well in that as well. And why was why was this uh, path logical to you guys? So you could have done that as well right yeah we could have and uh, actually there were also options on the table we also talked with the investors and there were kind of like a a couple of investors quite keen to invest in us as well but it's also to do with the the founders and the owners of the company who are day-to-day working in the company it's also your personal interest we much more rather focus on working with our customers rather than looking for companies building those uh, buying those companies so it's also personal interest yeah and uh, and we sort of felt like becoming part of a large network is the fastest way to have having this international and to actually grow our business also in the Netherlands. Yeah, because what you said, uh, if the kind of deal was made within a few months, then uh, it was, you're not going to build a network within a few months, right? You're that, not going to, but, but then again, I mean, I have full respect for uh, for some of the other choices. I mean, sure. if that's what you feel for, and that's how big companies are built, right? Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, it's, uh, it's entrepreneurship, and uh, but we chose yeah. to become part of a bigger network, but then still... Um, it's maybe good to note to note when we were joined, we were tuna people. Now we're two years ahead. We're three hundred people. Yeah. So the amount of sort of acceleration that has happened since we became Faltech. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was definitely what we were after, and it's also materialized. Uh, yeah. Do, do, do you think that also ha- uh, that it also helps in the kind of hiring process when people want to come to for- work for Voltec? Is it is it, it different to them than 
Yeah, it is different example. and it helps, uh, but it's also... It, 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 it also, can be scary as well, I think. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I must say, there's also quite a number of people who have said like, okay, Focus has already grown pretty big. Yeah, sure. And yeah. then becoming part of Vault, they were like, okay, this doesn't feel like the place for me anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we want happens, to work. Yeah. And it happens and fair enough when we shake hands. But then on the other end, it also attracts quite a number of people who like to travel internationally, who are in a phase in their life where they want to engage with other cultures. Yeah. So it definitely, and it's also what we've seen, the, the, uh, both the amount, but also the, the type of people that we get on our front doorstep wanting to work with us has yeah. changed. Yeah, and the, the, I think, of course, the, the one of the things is that uh, the bigger you get, the bigger clients as well, and the bigger challenges. Yeah, it's, it's like elephants with elephants. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's those, true. Uh, yeah, the, and we've actually seen that happening because the uh, it's not that the uh, the size of the clients has changed because we were already for for Heineken, we were already yeah, working sure. for the top, but the uh, the, the size of the uh, of the uh, engagements that we do with our clients they have changed mm. and mm. grown dramatically. Yeah, it's just bigger projects. Maybe Maybe bigger also, projects, more international, more countries involved, uh, exactly. bigger change programs. So customers were before it was like smaller websites. Now we're doing actually supply chain, big things where it's also uh, the customer are putting big bets. And it's uh, a lot of business that runs through, a lot of their business which run through those platforms. Mm. And uh, when we look at the kind of organization that you have, because you are in multiple countries, uh, we talked about it a little bit before, it was like 15, 16 countries, uh, yeah, <laughs> as far 50, as you could, yeah, uh, you, you could get from top of the mind. But, yeah, uh, it depends on when and uh, how you ask the question. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, But we're sizable and we're worldwide. Pretty big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty big. Uh, so I, I was wondering about that because uh, what uh, usually happens when you get the, at this kind of scale, uh, it's harder to kind of keep that uh, communication and kind of keep that c- company culture uh, going. So how do you kind of try to provide that uh, in in your kind of organization? Uh, yeah, there's there's actually two things. Uh, one is uh, the countries are pretty strong. Yeah. So each of the countries, like we have been sort of left alone and basically were able to do our own thing in the Netherlands after we were acquired. Most of the countries operate that way. So there's a strong sense of like ownership on a country level. There's also uh, appreciation. We're doing something uh, on our own. We have, uh, yeah, you have quite a number of freedom to do the stuff you want. But on the other end, as grinds grow, as our engagement grows, because Faltec is also growing. Sure, so, for, yeah. uh, so there is another layer added on top of that where the international collaboration is getting stronger and stronger. So that's also why we see the global teams that are actually working both on clients but also on the company level are increasing at this uh, this point in time. Yeah, so you, you kind of try to keep the teams... Uh, what, what For example, when I uh, talked to Paul from DEP, uh, his, his vision was also a little bit on uh, keeping... That it sometimes helps to have teams that are built up from people from different countries, right? To keep yeah. that kind of uh, communication flowing between those uh, between yeah. those countries, is that something that you do as well? Yeah, we do that as uh, we do that as well. Yeah. So so whenever there's a client engagement which crosses across country borders, even the initial team is already formulated with a number of people from different countries. So they have their home base still in the country, but then they also know they I'm going to be assigned on a project for like a year, which is in Paris. So I'm still like in the Amersfoort office. Yeah. That's yeah, my home. Yeah. But then I know that I'll be assigned for this longer term project. But for our employees, it's also nice because uh, we had actually some employees. Uh, we've been uh, Volkswagen on the NL, mm-hmm. which is the Volkswagen where you choose your car in the Netherlands. We've sure. been building that three times now. 
So we've had four, three iterations and doing that with the same people. So the fourth time, it's also for employees. They think like, okay, this is more of the same. Yeah, sure. Is yeah. This, is this, I want something else. <laughs> yeah, I want something else. And then you, uh, and that's also one thing we could provide with Valtech. Then you get like this assignment for, uh, for instance, L'Oreal, which is a big customer for us. Uh, we do all the brands for L'Oreal in all countries and you get asked to do that project. Yeah, exactly. Which is a lot bigger, which is a lot more challenging. It does require across the globe development with multiple teams. So how are you going to set up an architecture for that? So that's also a nice thing, which our employees, uh, sort of a nice growing challenge for them uh, for them as well. What was the uh, kind of joining vault uh was that also uh, something that had to do with knowledge as well? So uh, what, what, uh, what I mean by that is that, for example, um, other comp- uh, companies join bigger companies because they have some kind of knowledge in a particular field that you didn't maybe have before be- being uh, acquired. Is that also one of the the key things? I I can imagine it's one of the key things that you yeah, uh, think about uh, as well. We also realized, apart from sort of the international factor, which were, which was definitely the main reason to uh, to uh, be sure. acquired, but also we knew that like 200 people, digital is getting bigger. Yeah, especially if you're doing not only technical but also doing the marketing, creative. Uh, Mobile, data science, data science, mobile, VR, AR, blockchain. I mean, there's all sorts of things. And you know that with, with 200 or 300 or even 600 people, you're not going to cover all these aspects in full depth. Mm. And that's also why we, as part of Valtech, you know, like one country is focusing on VR, another country is focused on data science. We have a lot of content campaigns in the Netherlands. So we're actively doing marketing. So by being part of a large network, you can actually tap into all those resources for your clients as well. Yeah, it's it's extremely hard to yeah. when I look at it um, from a development perspective already it's you have like three or four or five people different kind of functions that need to be uh, included just yeah. in the team to get yeah, something and working then, and right? then all the development with like front end technologies yeah view, exactly. Uh, uh, all those technologies and also on the cloud I mean you have like AWS you have uh, Azure yeah. you need to provision in both because customers are asking for it yeah, yeah. and uh, having all that in one country or in one team uh, it's almost not uh, viable to do, to do no. it yeah. and that's also what we see now and it's also the road that we have as Valtech is that we're going to organize those specialities in specific countries Yeah. because a lot of our clients don't care where the actual work is done no, no as, I, as, long, as long as it's done and it's done in a proper way by a good team, and as long as they can interact locally with people about what we're actually building yeah. in their own language. So that's also the, uh, the objective what we want to offer is uh, having this sort of mix of global delivery, but, but also being local and talking to the clients directly. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, the technologies come that far that you can do it, right? You can be yeah. in a different country. It doesn't really matter where no. where the work happens. Actually, we do that as well. So we have a development team in Serbia. So yeah. I go there every like half of a year or something like that, and they, every six months. Yeah, and then uh, we discuss what we need to do. And but uh, the day to day, so the daily stand ups, and it's all done yeah. through video conferencing. Yeah. And that was an uh, not, uh, I mean, this type of uh, was an additional benefit of joining Falter. We've already as we. Folks also been looking at uh, opening something in some Eastern European uh, country, sure, yeah. uh, both because of cost reason, but also because of we just simply can't find the people in the talent pool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The talent anymore. So we were looking at it, but it's also if you start thinking about it, you already get headaches, and you're going to be yeah, it's hard. It, it is hard, and Valtic has already taken that route, so they had an operation in Ukraine already established, so we could quickly tap into that as well and add that to our sort of delivery capabilities. And we're now pretty well equipped with like 20 people in Ukraine and working for our 
clients as well, and that's going to increase yeah. as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, the the that's what a that's what a lot of people forget is that there are a lot of talented people there which uh, are looking for a job actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, and for instance, uh, Sidecore is a software package is a content management system which we yeah. use uh, use a lot, and they have uh, they basically have a development center across the street from us. <laughs> in Ukraine crazy yeah so we exchange people and uh, when they sort of uh, have their release ready they let go of some people and these people ring on our doorstep yeah. and uh, no sidecore inside out because they've actually been building the package themselves yeah so that's, that's cool yeah that's cool because you if you have a particular project and you need to have some kind of uh, expert come in it's just across yeah. the street right and then again these these are just colleagues of us i mean they come to the netherlands we go there sure. uh, we also have somebody in uh, ukraine now uh, working there so that's also how we sort of try to keep uh, yeah basically yeah. one team two locations yeah you have to you have to have that view as well to keep that kind of team dynamic to, yeah. to not have like it's us versus them or no it's like not that. like we put everything in an envelope and then ask them uh, <laughs> open the envelope and build it no it's actually us working with them together sure. and seeing also and that's also why we have i mean we have local developers so those developers are actually working with them and sort of trying to figure out what's best what can we do best what can you do best how can we separate those things how should we work together Mm. that's crazy that's exactly how we do it as well it's in a much smaller scale but uh, yeah but it's a model which we really like yeah it works works. yeah Yeah. it, it works and a lot of people are kind of skeptical about it uh, because of the whole remote thing and they still want to have people here because yeah, of some reason I don't know why yeah. but it, it, it does happen that, that um, I mean it's getting there it's getting more and more like yeah. okay it doesn't really matter where you are yeah. uh, and they get also more professional on their side sure on yeah, yeah. yeah I mean it's their English is good they, they can pretty much do anything you want to do as well yeah. and uh, that that's just I mean, I think that a lot of companies will go that way because, the, as you said, the talent pool in the Netherlands, for example, is yeah, it's kind of drying up, right? Yeah, <laughs> at least, uh, and there's a sort of a pond, and everybody's fishing in it. Yeah, and sure. It yeah. gets more difficult. Uh, not impossible, but uh, and then again, there's so much work to be done in this space, so we yeah. need the people, and uh, there's uh, basically there's more talent available there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, um, I want to. Deep uh, deep dive into something else. Uh, so I'm always curious about um, where something like you, someone that is uh, in the space you are in uh, right now uh, looks at the internet. So how they look at how, how that's grown. And how, that's yeah. a big, uh... <laughs> it's a big thing. But uh, I'm uh, I I just want to uh, I asked this question to Heine as well, and I, I want to ask it to you as well. Is that uh, I asked him the question. Uh, are there gonna be any websites anymore in the future? Yeah, okay. Uh, I, that's a that's a smaller question in, yeah, in okay, that yeah. sense, but uh, I I think it's interesting because that's um, that's also kind of looking at the future and seeing how that how we will interact with yeah. what we are doing right now. So w- what's your kind of view on that? Yeah, there's a couple of things that are happening. Uh, there's sort of a proliferation of touch points happening. Yeah, sure. So uh, yeah, we have web, we have mobile, we know those. Yeah, everybody has a mobile. But then again, a lot of devices, including, for instance, a car, that is actually a touch point to the internet uh, becoming because most of the cars are connected right now or most of the new cars are already connected. So there's a lot of services happening in the car. There's touch points in store. There's all sorts of things. And what we also see, and we're, we're together with Audi, I already gave this example. Yeah, yeah let's go to that one. <laughs> yeah, to that one. And what we also see is that 
the product itself, we look at the sort of second wave of digital transformation. The first wave was about sort of providing the same products, but then through a digital way. What we now see is the second wave where actually the products themselves become digital. Mm. So, uh, for example, I have a bike, and on the bike there's a feature that I can enable or disable by paying a subscription fee. Okay. So that bike has like a feature. For what? For power meter. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. yeah, so it is on the bike, but you can enable it or enable disable it by providing. Ah. So you're not buying a you're buying a physical product, but the actual and that's also what you see with Tesla. So some of the options yeah, exactly. are are enabled or disabled, and you see that kind of like proliferation of digital in products. You see that uh, uh, a lot of companies, and for instance, like L'Oreal, they actually bought a company which has like an AR mirror. Hmm. So that you can actually see and they can project if you apply some of their beauty products. How, how that will, will look like. How it will look like on your ah, face in reality. Without, without putting it on. Without putting it on. Ah. So you, we see a lot of those kind of things. And I mean, L'Oreal buying a technology company five years ago, that would have been... Yeah, it's weird. That would have been weird, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. now it's like sort it's of... It's totally logical now when you look yeah, at it. Yeah, given the sort of... And all this of, is experimental, like AR, VR... Uh, those kind of, uh, but we see kind of like uh, a lot of brands experimenting with it, trying it out and seeing how they can deploy yeah, basically new business models based mm. on uh, mm. on that. So yeah, will the web be there? Yeah, and websites? And will you see at the browser? Yeah, I think you will in the future. But will it be part of it? Yeah, it will be part of it as well, but it, w- it will not have a dominant factor anymore like it had. Like yeah, so in the, the interfaces are changing. That's what The interfaces saying. are changing. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's more interfaces. It's basically also like how you sort of consume news. I mean, the newspaper's still there. I get a newspaper every morning. I'm <laughs> also a little bit older, so I still have a newspaper. So they were, but it's the, same, yeah, it's the same with horse riding. I mean, there's also a lot of horse riding going yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like hundred years ago, horse riding was sort of the dominant way of um, transportation. Move, uh, transportation. Yeah. And yeah, that's good. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way because that 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 makes that makes sense. I mean, uh, there are interfaces all around us, right? Yeah. The, and one of the interfaces that a lot of people are were, are talking about. I think it almost comes by every podcast that I do, but the kind of voice interfaces that people are using right now, yeah, uh, it's not, yeah, can you call it an interface? But uh, never mind. It's just the, the thing that you can do with your voice. Uh, yeah. that, that's I think that's also becoming a big yeah. part, right? And that's going to become a commodity as well yeah. in the sense that uh, most of the interfaces uh, will have. We also see like at home, uh, the home pods or uh, all those devices, the Amazon Echoes, uh, those kind of devices, which are not so proliferant in the Netherlands. But I will, in the US, I think every every second household has one of these devices. Yeah. The adaptation is is low here still because of the... Language. The language. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Which is, which is uh, unfortunate, I think. In, yeah, in which some is un- unfortunate, which is also why I see that English is becoming even more dominant. Yeah, in, yeah. Uh, which is which is a shame, of course. But on the other hand, uh, I get why why it's happening, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, but you could also expect that as voice becomes even more commodity, yeah, then, uh, yeah, it also becomes more attractive to support other languages, including yeah. including Dutch and. Uh, well, yeah, well, they, they do they do English, Spanish, and st- stuff like that, like the yeah, bigger yeah. languages the first, bigger of language. course. And, I mean, and, and then German like, and then French, and uh, it makes sense. It makes uh, sense to do that, but. Um, uh, I wanted to uh, talk about that because that Audi thing uh, was was kind of interesting to me. Um, so, w- what do you exactly do for them? Because that it sounds like something that's uh, that's 
not happening that much, right? The connected car or whatever. So could you, you tell? Okay. Uh, I don't know if you have, have you ever driven in a Tesla. Yeah, of course. The Tesla is, is yeah, okay, the best but, example. But yeah. Tesla, I mean, is basically an iPad on wheels. That's yeah. how I call it. I yeah. mean, it's basically a big it's computer. Yeah. It's connected with the internet. It's 100% connected, always on. Yeah. And obviously, when you're driving, you're not allowed to view a movie. <laughs> so you need to keep your hands on the steering yeah. wheel and your eyes. Even on though the... they have autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though they, but you need to keep your hands on the wheel and the eyes on uh, on uh, on the road. Sure. But uh, having this sort of internet connection and and also, interestingly enough, there's also been research that uh, uh, like 10 years ago, people were buying a car because of the engine and how well it drove. That's not a factor anymore. It is still a factor, but it's not a dominant factor. That's actually the connectivity of the car. Yeah, exactly. So how well does the entertainment system work? Can you operate the car with your mobile phone? Uh, are all those kind of services. And that also, uh, that connectivity opts for a new, lot of new like services, which we well, still are sort of at the starting stage of finding out what's actually useful. Yeah. And that's opening the booth by the TNT postman who's delivering package so that they can remotely open your truck and only they can open it. So you give them the access, uh, please open my truck, so put the package in. Yeah, there. exactly, yeah. And that's the one sort of uh, pretty down-to-earth example of the services. That, but you can also imagine like uh, you're driving and you go into another country, you're not insured, you don't have any travel insurance, so you get like a pop-up on your screen you want to have travel insurance for yeah, this country, which crazy. is which is like uh, yeah, tailor sort of very narrowly specifically for you a message including an offer like click here and for one euro a day you're insured. You're in insured, this, yeah. In this country, do you want this? Yes or no? Mm. So those kind of services is what we uh, what we sort of envision. Ah, yeah, because that. Uh, um that's different than what it is, of, of course, right now. I mean, uh, th- there was a whole vibe going on for, uh, like, doing in retail with the beacons and stuff like that, getting ads to your phone uh, yeah. based on, on that technology. But uh, I, the, people are kind of moving away from that and looking at other uh, yeah. kind of, uh, like, kind of past where they can go through to get to you to uh, to buy these kind of, uh, this kind of products, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, for instance, the retail space is also an interesting what Amazon is doing with their cashless checkout. Yeah, I that's mean, crazy. It's pretty, yeah. Uh, but that's basically the operating system of retail of tomorrow. Mm. They have a lot of patents in that area. And if they're able, in the end, with cameras and uh, uh, RVD tags and products to figure out what you've put in your shopping bum, shopping baskets and walk out the store, if, and you get to check on your phone and you don't have to go to any cash register. Yeah. They, and they're pretty well, I, mean, I would say, like 80 90% on the way to, uh, to achieve that. Yeah. That's, uh, and it's going to make it easier for the customers. Because mm. you don't have to wait in line, you don't have to put all your products on a, on a belt, and uh, yeah. So if that materializes, I think it will touch everybody. Yeah, at the, I was when you th- said that I, I I thought about the last podcast that I did was with uh, Tim. He's from STNT Research, and okay. what they do is actually uh, they had a kind of um, experiment going on with uh, augmented reality, where yeah. they could create a store. And they can see based on your uh, kind of brainwaves and stuff like that. They can actually see what kind of uh, 
yeah, what kind of layout works within a store. Yeah. So you don't have to build the store and see you if see, it works. Yeah, and actually it, measure. Yeah, and actually measure, but you could already do that in kind of augmented reality. Yeah. And that's, I think that's that's going to be the... The augmented reality part still feels like a gimmick sometimes uh, because everybody's like... Oh, and yeah, sometimes yeah. it is, and a lot of yeah. the examples, I agree with you, yeah. but I think there's real value. Yeah. And also augmented reality, there's a lot of things are happening already more not visible for the end consumers, like in the maintenance. Mm. like airplanes or car exactly, yeah. device maintenance where people have like glasses on where they can actually see the engine yeah. and actually project it what and what, the manual and stuff like the that the manual and uh, please look up here and please you need to uh, to check this one so they can actually physically yeah. see in their own what they actually need to do yeah and I've seen some demos of uh, kind of in the medical space as well yeah. so people showing okay uh, we're going to operate on this person uh, they, you can already see some stuff that you wanted to see and yeah. th- that's that's mind blowing I mean, yeah. For us, that's mind blowing, but those those things already exist and they're being pretty rapidly developed. That's highly specialized, but it yeah. happens. Yeah, and um, what I what I would like to uh, go to as well is that what, what do you kind of see for the future for your company as well in this whole space? So what, what do you what do you feel well, that's going to be? Yeah, we're pretty optimistic because <laughs> there's a lot of things. You're happening. growing, so it's, yeah, it's going and good, and we're growing. So uh, uh, and we also see like uh, these kind of things. And from a technical standpoint, which is also a bit of like the focus of this uh, podcast, uh, sure. we also see kind of like a shift to more uh, because we have. So much touch point we also need to enable the platforms where everything comes together because in the end all transactions need to be on one platform we see that's kind of like and there's been a lot of talk already on microservices yeah and sure. that's been in the market for like 15 20 years already but we really now see that take off and that's a necessity as well because you need to have one platform and you need to enable that on multiple touch points some of those where you don't even know what they're going to be yeah so you need to provide those interfaces and to be a little bit more loosely coupled and provide that so that's what we see with a lot of our uh, clients as well that they are investing now in having these kind of transforming they, their current existing platforms to become more sort of uh, loosely coupled with their actual touch points on the front there, whether it be a mobile whether it be a car whether it be a website yeah. whether it be something uh, something else so that's what we uh, what we see also in demand in uh, influx in uh, work uh, right now. Yeah, and I think that uh, maybe that's also what we talked about a little bit before, of course, is that uh, it will be less focused on just the websites that you yeah. uh, look at, but also the kind of interfaces that someone yeah. uses the websites, outside of that. Yeah, the website is just one manifestation yeah, exactly. of interfacing and that has like a particular properties. Sure, yeah, and, which uh, work. W- w- mean, which work and which are pretty rich. Yeah. Uh, but then on the mobile, it's it's, it's less rich uh, yeah. because you have less interface and then on the car, it will be even more targeted. Yeah. I mean, you're driving right here now, right now and this is what you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't make any options and you're not going to in your car make all the options <laughs> and do all the filtering and uh, yeah that's not going to work <laughs> uh, browse through a lot of products that's not going to work it yeah. needs to be tailor focused and this is the thing you want might likely and these are the options and uh, yeah yes. but it's it's like uh, when you have a you can have a web browser in the Tesla as well right and you're like okay why do I need this <laughs> in my it car because then you walk upstairs and you go to your uh, your laptop and you do it uh, yeah rather there than on uh, no it doesn't make any sense yeah yeah that that, that also um 
shows that some interfaces just don't work in specific situations. Yeah. It's just like that. I mean, yeah, and we've all seen them and we've all worked with them where you think like this doesn't make any. Uh, yeah, this doesn't uh, make doesn't any make sense. No. Yeah. So and the second, sorry. If yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah, I yeah, know the second thing uh, which which also underpins this sort of relevance and providing relevant services is data. Mm. So we see a lot of our clients also investing in data lakes where they bring, previously it was called data warehouse, but they bring all their knowledge together to to basically... Yeah, On one point, yeah. Yeah, to 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 sort of deduct uh, what what's the best thing which we can do right now, given the situation, given the client that we're talking to. Yeah. And what's... Uh, and try to provide context, which that that's kind of the hardest uh, part yeah, of that, provide right? the right context, make a, actually the right decision. Okay, this is relevant for this person right now. Yeah. This is what we should be doing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of what the people are talking about. It, it's funny, I, I have this discussion, uh, I had it one or a few podcasts ago about yeah. if AI, for example, even exists. Because in most cases, when people are talking about AI and what it does is, it's actually machine learning, right? It's just a, a huge data, yeah, data it, lake it and, yeah. and, and just pick and choose some kind of... Um, answer based on what you're asking right yeah. Uh, it, yeah it is trying to be relevant and based on uh, uh yeah your ability to pr- pr- provide right make sort of a feedback loop yeah and exactly. uh, learn on that i actually heard an example there was like a pizza i don't know which one it was it was like a zero click ordering you just opened the app and, you and get, you've ordered it and you've and you, you have like why it's <laughs> kind of like funny yes yeah, you have five seconds to cancel the order why would they do? Yeah, okay. I get why they want to do it. <laughs> but it's sort of based on your previous history. They know what you're, ah. what you're most likely. They they sort of pretend to lie to know what you want to order. Ah, and also maybe you've done it at specific times or whatever. Exactly. That's the whole thing about it. I don't ah. know how far this uh, has uh, has gone and how successful it is. Yeah. But that's that, crazy. If if it works, it's crazy. Yeah, that sounds to me a little bit over the top, but that's yeah, uh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it is what we're going to, right? I mean, if I if I'm like, okay, maybe I would like some pizza tonight. <laughs> yeah. It will already know. Okay, yeah. you probably want pizza. Yeah. That's pretty scary on the <laughs> other hand, but. <laughs> yeah. But we all have uh, sort of want to have the ability to choose, but then also we all have sort of difficulties in choosing. And the more options there are, the more difficult it gets to choose. And so having algorithms, having systems which make sort of out of all these options, uh, sort of, uh, yeah, the the five most likely that you are going to want to accept. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it will definitely, those companies who do that best. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to survive, of course. I mean, um what I want to do is, uh, for wrapping up, it's always the last question. Okay. And it's always the hardest question. <laughs> <laughs> People find it the hardest question for some reason. But uh, what are you uh, most proud of? What am I most, most proud of? Uh... Yeah, I think it's actually the the three hundred people I work in they have together with. Yeah, having this team, having this great ability, having all these professionals working as one team, and obviously not everything goes every time right. But being able to provide this to our clients, which is recognized, and that's why we're growing. So that's why I'm most proud of. Yeah, so it's the the whole the combined effort that you yeah do the for combined your effort and uh, uh, and what we also as a company provide, which I'm really proud of. I mean, we provide also for our, our employees and ability to realize their ambition dreams or whatever how big it is yeah sure. i don't know but being able to provide that platform both for our clients but particularly also for employees and having this interface because when we are providing something for our clients we can also provide something for employees and that's sort of the wheel 
which we make, uh, which we want to make, and which we have been able to make uh, successfully turning. Very cool. Uh, I would like to. Uh like uh, stop it on that <laughs> i think that's a good uh, yeah. good way to to end it um where can people find Faultech? so on uh, on the website or well, on the website is faultech.nl in yeah. the netherlands and we also faultech.com actually to our uh, loop together and in uh, the netherlands so we're based in uh, utrecht amsterdam amersfoort and eindhoven so we have four offices and uh, all four offices are substantial so very cool, very cool. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Amar. Yeah, and uh, for the listeners, uh, you can find the Bits vs. Byte podcast on uh, bitsvsbytes.com, uh, also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, all over the place. It's uh, hard to miss. <laughs> it's hard to miss. Uh, and, uh, of course, on social media, it's all Bits vs. Bytes on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I would like to thank you for listening, and until next time.